Well, good morning once again. I am Rick Gleiman. For those who may not know me, I'm one of the pastors on staff and do a lot of work in various areas. And sometimes they let me come and preach over here. I like this. It's a kind of a cool environment. I like the amazing worship that we experience in this space. And thank you, Chad and team, for another time of really drawing us into the presence of God. Today we are, as, as uh, was just mentioned a moment ago, finishing up our series on the book of Ephesians. And we have the opportunity to be strengthened with all of what we've learned, all of what we've come through the first five and a half, six, five and a half chapters of Ephesians, to now pull it together. And to pull it together in such a way as we take our stand and in one heart and one mind to the world around us. Let's stand together as we read God's word. We'll be reading from Ephesians chapter 6 verses 10 and following. This is a passage where Paul uses a key phrase. He says, finally, you've got all this other stuff down. Now it's time to stand up and put it into practice. Now it's time to stand out in the communities that you live in. Now it's time to stand up for Jesus where you live and where you go. And these are the instructions he gives to us. So hear the word of the Lord today. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground and after you've done everything to stand. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated and join me in prayer. The last verse in that section talks about praying with all kinds of prayer. I'm going to encourage us to pray a prayer of opening our hearts to hear God's voice speaking to us today, to receive God's power because the living word of God is powerful and it's active and as we hear it, as we receive it into our hearts and our minds, we are empowered by it. So let's join together in prayer. Precious Father, we thank you for giving us the whole of scripture from Genesis to Revelation, but particularly today as we look at this passage inspired by your Holy Spirit and penned by the Apostle Paul, that you will speak to us personally that you'll speak to us in the battles that we are facing, that you'll speak to us the way that you've shown us that we can actually overcome the things that are currently overcoming us. We ask you to give us illumination into your word by your Holy Spirit, and by that same spirit, the empowerment to live out the victorious life that you've called us to live in your precious name. Amen. Amen. Well, friends, in the first three chapters of Ephesians, as you recall, we talked a lot about the wealth that we have as Christians. And then for the next two and a half chapters, Paul gives us instructions about what the walk of Christians looks like, how we live out that theology. And now today, in the final section of this book, we're talking about the warfare that we are called to engage in. None of you planned to be born, did you? 
You didn't make that arrangement with your parents ahead of time and said like a room like this. And like, no, and none of us were, had a say in being born into a world that's at spiritual warfare. There's a conflict going on from all the way back in the Garden of Eden. It continued through the time of the Gospels. Obviously, throughout Jesus' ministry, we see him confronting demonic forces and Satan himself personally. And Jesus overcame them every time. And all the way to the end of the book of Revelation, down to the second to the last chapter, there's Satan still active until God finally puts him into the lake of fire. But we're somewhere in the middle of that now. We're still in that time where that struggle is raging on, where the prince of darkness is trying his best to do everything he can to hurt us, to limit us, to block us from experiencing the things God designed for our lives to have. So why do we need to be so prepared? Because the war is raging on, and if we don't fight, we are losing. If we don't stand up in what God has equipped us to stand up in, then we are going to lose ground continuously. We have watched as collectively as Christians and and the generations represented around this space here today, the decay of our culture on our watch. We have watched right become wrong, good become evil in the sight of our culture. It's turned almost entirely around. In my short lifetime of about 60 years, some of you lived a little longer, some a little shorter, but we've watched this happen. The Prince of Darkness is active. He's functioning, and it's our call in this season in God's history to stand up. And this passage, if we'll take it to heart and take the steps to put it into application in our lives, starting afresh today, Everything about our lives can change. Our relationship with God can change dramatically. Our relationship with those in our households, our marriages will change significantly. And most importantly, our impact that we can have on our world and our culture for Jesus will change significantly. We've been called to overcome evil with good. We're called to be God's people who say yes to God all the time and no to sin and temptation and Satan himself. But more often, We're saying yes to sin, and I'm not sure about this God stuff. We've got to turn that around so we get ourselves aligned with God's purposes. And this notion, sometimes people question this notion of Christians being warriors. You know, God's already won the battle, right? Well, that's in fact true. At the cross of Christ, Jesus won the battle of sin's power and dominion over our lives. And in fact, at the cross, Satan was stripped of his authority over the human race. But he was not stripped of his power. God has given to us authority and power over the powers of darkness. And if we use them, and we use them effectively and consistently, we can make a significant difference. The reality is, Jesus also said, and people wonder, well, he said, well, turn the other cheek when someone strikes you. That's if a human being who's an object of salvation hits us, we're supposed to turn the other cheek and say, no, I'm not going to respond the way you're responding to me. But scripture not once tells us to turn the other cheek to our enemy. He says, oppose him, resist him, stand up to him, fight evil, cause it to cease by doing good. Now, sometime back, a gentleman by the name of uh, Upton, J. Upton Dixon, a Christian comic, wrote an interesting little pamphlet. He started out writing a book. It came out to be a pamphlet called Cower Power. Okay? And he founded a little group of submissive people called Doormats. Doormats stands for Dependent Organization of Really Meek and Timid Souls if there are no objections. And their motto was, the meek shall inherit the earth if that's okay with everybody. 
their symbol was a yellow traffic light. I mean, just this kind of namby-pamby. But isn't that us sometimes? We're not sure what to do. We're not sure where we stand with God. We're not sure what he wants us to do. And so we kind of sit back and, and watch. But true meekness, the kind that Jesus model, is being strong enough to be gentle. But we're up against a real enemy. And he's not gentle. And he's not nice. And he's evil to the core. He's the father of lies. He's the prince of darkness. And the Lord has allowed this being and his henchmen, the many other demonic forces that align himself, to still be here in this world for a reason. God could wipe them off with one swipe of his hands in a second, but he's given us the opportunity, armed with the armaments of heaven, equipped as God will equip us through his word, to stand up to them and overcome them. That's, in fact, his purpose. One of the things I think we have to overcome, though, in our understanding, somehow... I'm not sure how this happened, but the faulty notion that being Christian means being down on yourself all the time, thinking much about what's wrong with you, and dwelling primarily on your failures and your sins and your faults and foibles, and feeling guilty and ashamed of ourselves most of the time. And self-deprecation, friends, self-condemnation and self-hatred are not virtues. They're not Christian, and they're not Christ-like. That's not how Christ treats you. Look at how Jesus interacted with his friends and his disciples and even the people of his time. Never with condemnation, with this kind of attitude. But we have been attacked so much we've accepted that as normal. Having that idea about ourselves immobilizes us and paralyzes us and makes us feel useless to do any real good in the world. We've got to recognize and understand where the enemy has gotten footholds in our lives and our thinking that are holding us back from being the people that Jesus has really created us to be. And this passage today is going to help us significantly to do that. The reality, friends, who is this enemy? Oftentimes, we might picture the real enemy. It might be the Republicans. It might be the Democrats. It might be the Tea Party, in your thinking, or the all politicians. It might be the media, or Muslim extremists, or atheists, or right-wingers, or left-wingers, or your boss, or your spouse, or even yourself. But friends, all of that is wrong, way, wrong thinking. Ephesians 6, I come back to it in verse 12, says, we are not fighting against flesh and blood, against people made of flesh and blood, but we are fighting against evil rulers and authorities in the unseen world, against those mighty powers of darkness who rule this world and against wicked spirits in the heavenly realms. So friends, We've got to wake up and recognize there's something more going on than we can see with our eyes or hear with our ears. And it will explain a lot of what's going on in our world and our country even now if we understand. There's an evil force that wants to destroy everybody if they can. We need to unite. We need to come together as one and stand up in Jesus' name and say, no, we're not going to let that happen to ourselves. We're not going to let that happen to our marriages, to our families, to our businesses, to our churches. We're going to stand united against a common foe. Peter put it this way in 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 8 through 10. He says, be sober, be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. And then the response, resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kinds of suffering. All of us have been clawed at, have been chomped on by the devil at one point in time or another. And that might be you today. You might be feeling so discouraged, so down, so overrun, the enemy is devouring some place in your life. 
And the call to us is to equip ourselves to stand up and take that ground back in our minds, take it back in our hearts, take it back in our households, and to be sure, take it back in our country. James, the brother of Christ, who wrote the epistle called James, in chapter 4 says, Submit yourselves to God, but resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Come near to God, and he will come near to you. Apostle Paul uses the same term that both Peter and James use in this passage four times. The Greek word in, in histemis means to stand up or to stand against and oppose and stop someone from doing something. Four times. When someone repeats something more than once, it means something. He says it four specific times. I don't know if any of you went through military basic training. How many of you are veterans or went through basic training? Any branch of the service? Thank you for your service. Let's applaud them. Once again. I know that all of you went through this thing called basic training, right? Where you kind of just sat around the pool and drank, uh, you know, soft drinks and relaxed and, and stretched out. And no, they put you through a rigorous time of training because they were preparing you to take you from being relative weaklings into warriors. It changed the way you thought. It changed the way you thought about working together with your fellow soldiers. It changed the way you were going to approach approaching an evil enemy. In this passage, it's kind of that basic training for us here to awaken us and wake us up. The great military general, Douglas MacArthur, some of you remember him from World War II days and had phenomenal success. His take, which I think will be helpful for us, requisites for success in battle include these things. Number one, we have to have morale, esprit de corps. We have to have a will to win. We have to realize that if we don't fight, we can't possibly win. Secondly, we have to have strength. We have to have adequate training and be well-equipped and being armed every day. Thirdly, we have to have a source of supply, a steady source of supply. Military operations need the supplies to keep them going forward. And in our case, that lifeline is praying in the spirit at all occasions, as Paul has said. And fourth, and to General MacArthur, this seemed most important, is having an intimate knowledge of your enemy knowing and understanding where he's going to try and attack you and be three steps ahead of him every time. Not wait until he's already into the hen house, if you will, but stop him in his tracks. These are the four key things. Just speaking of being prepared, though, many years ago, about 25 years ago or so, we moved into the current home that we're in. My daughter was about six, seven years old. She was upstairs sleeping one evening, and my little infant son was you know, in his crib. And I went down to the basement of this new house, newer house. It was an old house, but new to me. I saw this gigantic wasp. I mean, the biggest wasp. I mean, it looked that big to me, but it was really about that big. And I think, I think Chad last night said it must have been a cicada wasp, a cicada killer. It was a big, huge thing. So I thought, hmm, I don't really want that thing in my house with my kids upstairs. I sure can't go to bed leaving that thing alive down here. But I've never been stung at that point by a bee or a wasp, so I didn't know if I was allergic. I thought, hmm, I could get a can of that Raid spray and stink up the house, right, and do that. I said, I don't want to do that. That's so toxic. So... I went upstairs, I got three winter coats on, one of them being a leather jacket, three layers. I put two pairs of jeans and then snow pants over that. I got my cowboy boots on, up to here, I got leather up to here. I got my snowmobile boots, went up to my, my, my elbows here, covered that part of my body. I put on my snowmobile helmet, complete with the visor, okay? I was ready, and then I got my weapon, a fly swatter, okay? So well, the first time I saw it, I went down, that thing could sting me and hurt me. There was no way that little bug could get anywhere near my skin. There was two inches of padding around me. He could try and try and try, and I walked up confidently to him and wham, just killed him like that. 
That's how God wants us to feel getting up and into our day every day, prepared. We're getting dressed. We brush our teeth. We floss our teeth. We wash our hair. We comb our hair. We, we adorn ourselves in a certain way. I want you to be thinking about that kind of preparation spiritually every day. That you prepare yourself in your mind and your heart that the enemy, though present and lurking around, cannot harm you anymore. That takes some doing, but the scripture we're going to look at just now is going to help us. Paul tells us seven specific steps, and he says, don't do one of them, don't do two of them, put on the full armor if you want to be protected. The helmet, the cowboy boots, just keep that picture in mind, you get the idea. He says the full armor, what does it include? Seven things, the belt of truth, we're going to talk about these in detail, the breastplate of righteousness, having your feet ready to carry the gospel of peace every place you go. Fourth, the shield of faith with which you can quench the enemy's darts. Fifth, the helmet of salvation. Sixth, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And seventh, being ready in prayer with all kinds of prayers at all times. Let's start with the belt of truth. Most of us wear belts to hold up our pants, right? I still, I got this one on. It's doing a great job for me here today. The belt for the Roman centurion or the warrior that that Paul was picturing, it was a much bigger device, more like a weightlifter's belt that girded up his loins. It held his tunic in place. It also served as the foundation for everything else he was going to wear. It would hold the weapons as well. But it's the belt of truth for the Christian. It's knowing the truth and living the truth that is the core that we need to have to be strong in battle. Knowing it, we have to read it. We have to study it. It has to be a steady part of our diet, spiritually speaking. Friends, we need to know the word better than our enemy does because he actually knows it and he'll use it against us. To know it, it's part of its hearing sermons and being in Bible study groups and doing those things, but we need to get into it as a vital and essential piece of our success as Christians. To know it halfway leaves us exposed. So I encourage you, friends, maybe you've never read the whole Bible through. They've got, we've got some wonderful resources the Bible in one year, the one-year Bible. Gives you small sections of some parts of the Bible each day, and in a year's time, you can have read the entire thing. If you've been past that, to go deeper into it is to go more than just reading it, is to start memorizing it. So this is girding you up, strengthening your core, and then to live it out in your relationships. Live it out in everything that you do. The Bible says of knowing the truth, Jesus said, those that continue in my word will know the truth, and knowing the truth will set you free. Powerful thing the belt of truth does for us. The second thing is the breastplate of righteousness, which covers up the vital organs, particularly the heart. So many of us question where we stand with God. Righteousness is right standing with God. It's in a good relationship with him. The breastplate of righteousness is not something we work hard to attain. If we're still trying to make ourselves right in God's sight, we're going to feel guilty and ashamed an awful lot because none of us are perfected. Righteousness is something that comes with our salvation. The Bible says to us in Romans that the righteousness of Christ, all the perfect life he lived, all the good deeds he did, all the healings, all the wonderful teaching, the perfect life, his righteousness, that whole life, has been credited to our accounts in heaven. You are spiritual billionaires in heaven. Do you realize that? You have unlimited righteousness because when God looks at you, he does not see your sinfulness anymore. He sees that breastplate of Christ's righteousness and he goes, he or she, you have been accepted and welcomed into my family. You don't need to make yourself right in God's sight. When you accept that by faith, 
it frees you to live out the righteousness God's called you to live. Third, he says, have your feet ready, the cowboy boots, ready to carry the gospel of peace everywhere you go. It's so hard, friends, to be a light for the gospel, to go share it with other people when we're feeling miserable, isn't it? We're not out there talking about this wonderful salvation, this wonderful peace we have with God when we're not feeling at peace with ourselves. There's three kinds of peace we need to have. We have to have peace with God and understand that God's brought us into his family because he wants us in his family. And he'll never push us out. But we also need to have peace with others. We're not going to be a great witness for Christ if we're in conflict with our families or conflict with our friends or people are always bad-mouthing each other. That's not going to reflect well on Christ. And thirdly, we need to be at peace with ourselves. The gospel, the true gospel, brings all those things. Peace with God shows us how to have peace with each other, forgiving each other, and thus having peace with ourselves. And then being able to invite other people into that peace that God offers. Fourth is a shield of faith. This one is very huge. Paul says, with the shield of faith, you, involved in the activity here, can put out or quench or stop, not some, not a few, but all of the fiery darts of the enemy. What is the shield of faith made out of? It's your firm persuasion. The word for faith here means firm persuasion. Things that you know to be true, no matter what you're feeling or what you're thinking, these are the rock-solid beliefs that you hold. Friends, you and I are children of God by his choosing. You think, well, I got saved or I came to Christ and I took these steps and I went to this Bible study or I went to an altar or I went through a class. Or I, I, I approached God, but friends, God invited you. The Holy Spirit invited you into his family because he wanted you in his family now because he actually wants to spend all eternity with you. We've got to stand up with that when the enemy comes against us, when the storms of life are hitting us, when it's not so clear where God is, God isn't answering a prayer, things aren't working out in our finances, we've just found out we're being laid off, we've just found out a diagnosis from a doctor, or someone near and dear to us passes away, and we prayed our guts out that they would, they would be get healed, and they don't, and we start to wonder. That shield of faith has to be there to say, I don't know what God's doing, but I know that God knows what he's doing. And he loves me and has a place for me in his eternal kingdom. That shield of faith, the rock bottom things that we believe have got to hold us in those moments when the enemy is trying to shake us to the core. Fifthly, the helmet of salvation. Back to the snowmobile helmet. The helmet protects the head. You take a head wound in battle, it's almost likely, most likely to be fatal. The fact is, we have to get protection over our thinking. What's going on in our minds? It'd be cool if we could uh, plug a thumb drive into our ear just for one day and record everything we think. That'd be kind of scary too, wouldn't it? We probably would like to erase that thing immediately or flush it down a toilet, do something like that. But friends, God has saved us. We've got to hold on that salvation. You didn't save yourself. Do you realize salvation is something God worked out for you ahead of time and then invited you into it, offered it to you, gave the faith that you'd believe it, and then when you said yes to Jesus, he came into your life, and your name and mine have now been placed in the Lamb's book of life in heaven. You're safe from hell. You're safe from God's judgment on sin. Your name is in God's good book in heaven. And when the judgment day comes, your name is there already, and no one can take it out of that book. You know who wrote your name in the Lamb's book of life? Jesus himself with his own blood. He's mine. She's mine. No one can take your salvation from you. And you can't lose it like you'd lose your car keys. 
God wanted you, he wants you now, and he wants you forever. When the enemy attacks your mind, questioning your salvation or where, where your eternity is going, we need to block all of that with the helmet of salvation. Says, no, I am his and he is mine and that is forever. God's word is settled forever in heaven, friends. And then the sword of the spirit. This is the one offensive weapon he gives us in addition to prayer later. But this is the word of God. Now that we've built a core of the word of God, when the enemy is coming at us using God's word against us, we can speak it out right back to him. Jesus did that in the wilderness when the devil tempted him and Jesus was quoting the Old Testament, quoting the word of God to him. Then Satan started quoting the word back to him because he was using the same thing against him. And Jesus obviously knew the word just a little better than the devil. We need to be able to use the word of God real time to speak it out into life situations, to speak the truth that sets other people free and being ready for that. Seventh and finally, he says, to be active in prayer of all kinds, all the time. Pray in the spirit on all occasions, which means keep talking to God about everything that's going on in your life. Now, friends, we have to understand the fourth thing that Douglas MacArthur said, understanding our enemy. What's he trying to do? What's he trying to attack? We're going to touch on a couple of those things here today. We've got to erase once and for all the picture of the devil being a person in a Halloween costume with a red tail, red horns, a red mask, and a red cape. That's just not who he is. But he wants us to think of himself as a comic character, as sort of a guy who hangs around and does stuff. No, no, no. He is a powerful, intelligent, resourceful angel God created to do good that turned against God and now he's using the power God gave him to try and make our lives miserable. We're going to look at a couple of the strategies and schemes here briefly and I can get you copies of these notes uh, down the road here if you'd be interested in further study. But here's some of the schemes I want you to think about how the enemy is chipping away at getting footholds and strongholds into your life. Number one thing, he tries to get us stirred up in anger, Right? Anger does a lot of destruction in our relationships. It does a lot of things in all kinds of anger. God's plan for us is not that we live in anger, but that we live with patience. He wants to get us condemning others and condemning ourselves. God's word tells us to put up with others. The devil wants to tempt us into substance abuse, into alcohol and drug abuse as a way of coping with problems. God's called us to be powered and empowered by the Holy Spirit right here in the book of Ephesians chapter 5. God wants us complaining. The devil wants us complaining about everything. There's a whole lot of that going on in our culture. God's called us to live in contentment. Philippians 2 talks about the secret of living in contentment. A couple more of these before we move on to closing here today. The devil's scheme is that you think of putting yourself first. I'm the most important person in the universe. God's plan is that he is first because actually he is the most important person in the universe. The devil's scheme is to lie to us and get us to lie. God's purpose is that we live in truth and speak the truth in love. And here's a big one. One of the primary attacks this devil makes against any of us, and it happened when I saw that wasp in my basement, is fear. What bad might happen to me? What bad thing might be coming down the road? He clouds the joy God wants us to have in life and steals it from us by prompting thoughts of fear of the worst possible scenario. But God has not given us a spirit of fear, but a spirit of power and of love and of a sound mind. And his perfect love casts out all fear. Fear is not something the Holy Spirit brings to you. It's coming from the devil. 
And discouragement's a big one. And we're gonna go to the last slide here. Discouragement is the devil getting you to the place where you stop trying. You stop even living into the Christian principles you already know. You think, what's the point? Nothing's ever gonna get better. I can never overcome this besetting sin, this habit, this situation. My marriage is a disaster and I don't know what to do about it. God wants us to live in confidence and strength in him that with him all things are possible. And then the last part we're gonna look at here today is schemes. He tries to get us disillusioned. God's not really coming through for me. God didn't answer that prayer. I don't know what he's up to. God's changed his mind about me. God doesn't love me anymore. All of that kind of stuff. God calls us to trust him. There's stuff he knows and that he's doing that we just can't know yet, but we've got to understand he loves us. Trust trumps disillusionment. Discouragement we talked about needs to be replaced with a courageous heart. Depression, something that we get pushed down to if those other two things, disillusionment and discouragement, prevail in us. Depression where we become so darkened on the inside that we can't see a way out anymore. Thankfulness is God's plan to give thanks in all circumstances. Despair follows depression and defeat. Rejoicing always conquers that with a totally different mindset. The devil's aim ultimately is destruction. Jesus said the enemy, the thief, comes to kill, steal, and destroy. But I have come that you might have life and have it abundantly. Friends, we need to stand up. It's time. It's time that we face our personal demons, and I mean literally, the things that are afflicting our lives, the things that are holding you back, the things that when you take two steps forward, push you four steps backwards. You know what those are. It's time for us to stand against temptations, stand up to sin and say no to it, stand against injustice that we see, and stand for what Jesus stood for. You realize that Christianity, what we enjoy currently, is always one generation away from extinction. We have to hold the faith. We have to keep the faith that's been given to us by previous generations. We've got to hold it firm, hold it strong, and allow true biblical Christianity to be passed on generation to generation, unfettered, unlimited, undiluted. Or we're not doing our job, friends. Be strong, friends, in the Lord in defending our faith and its values. So first of all, we know that confidence comes by preparation. Let's get prepared. Secondly, we need to live so we don't have to be apologizing for actions all the time. And thirdly, we want to remember who we belong to. We belong to a savior and a king and a God who loves us dearly. I close with one more story. Some of you know this, so it'll be repetitive to you, but way back in 1904, a young gentleman by the name of William Borden graduated from Chicago High School. He was a millionaire at his high school graduation in 1904. Think about that. He was son of the Borden Dairy Estate family. For his high school graduation present, his parents gave him a round-the-world trip. Thought that'd be a nice thing for him. As he traveled through all the parts of the world, his heart became burdened for the people he saw, living in poverty, living in spiritual darkness. And so he came back and he decided, he wrote down in his book, I'm going to give my life to prepare for the mission field. At the same time, he wrote two words in the back of his Bible, no reserves. Indeed, Borden didn't hold anything back. During his college years at Yale University, he became a pillar in the Christian community. One entering his personal journey that defined the source of his spiritual strength simply said this, say no to self and yes to Jesus every time. During his very first semester at Yale, Borden started a small prayer group that would transform that campus life. 
This little group gave birth to a movement that spread across the campus. By the end of his first year, 150 freshmen were meeting for weekly Bible study and prayer. By the time Bill Borden was a senior, 1,000 out of the 1,300 students then were in such groups. He also strategized with his fellow Christians that every person on the Yale campus would hear the gospel of Jesus Christ preached to them. He never wavered. Then he narrowed his wish and call to the Kansu people in China. Never wavered. Upon graduation from Yale, Borden wrote two more words in the back of his Bible, no retreats. In keeping with that commitment, Borden turned down several high-paying jobs, as you can imagine, graduating from Yale, and he immediately went to Egypt to learn Arabic so he could reach the Muslims in China. While he was in Egypt, he contracted spinal meningitis. Within a month, a 25-year-old William Borden was dead. Prior to his death, though, Borden had written two more words in his Bible underneath the words, no reserves and no regret, retreats. He had written, no regrets. Friends, wouldn't that be the way we would like to live? Living with no reserves, giving our all to Jesus. Living with no retreats, backing down to no challenge, no opposition. And finally being able, on the day we meet Jesus, say, I've got no regrets. I've laid it all on the line. I'm going to lead us in a prayer, and I'm going to encourage you, friends, as you're thinking about this. There's things all of us need to stand up to in our lives, stand up against in our world, stand up that have been holding us back. I want you to draw those things into mind as we pray. Father, we just thank you that you've given to us the promises of your word. You've given to us a path to victory. I pray, Lord, that you will help us today to put on the full armor that you have provided and made available to each and every one of us so that we can stand in victory, so that we can overcome addiction, so that we can overcome lust, so we can stand up against the enemy that's ravaging our marriages, our households, our cultures, our schools, and our society. God, I pray that you will help us, each and every one, to take a fresh stand. In Jesus' name, amen. <laughs>